Well, vertical has been uh, our word for the year, and we are spending uh, the month of August on vertical homes. And uh, I want to encourage you to uh, uh, be understanding, viewing, and working at your home this month. Um, A few books I just want to recommend related to today, uh, we're talking on vertical parenting, is uh, Peacemaking for Families. Uh, These are available out in the the Welcome Table, $10 each. Peacemaking for Families, just how to handle conflict in the home, biblically. Another is uh, The Heart of Anger. Um, Just if you really want to understand your child's heart and what's going on, it's just a phenomenal book. It's not just about angry children. It's just, it should be a read for every parent. Another one is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Uh, Fantastic books I would encourage you to consider uh, picking up and uh, digging into. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about vertical marriages. Um, We keyed in on six things, kind of I oriented it around six things that Karen and I wish we would have been told, and uh, we probably were, but uh, didn't learn until later on in life. Uh, about marriage, and really it was about the six passages. I just want to say again, I really believe these six passages over here are the foundational passages in understanding how to do biblical marriage. Um, These are passages you must have a grasp on. Well, today we're on vertical parenting, and I want to key in on three must-know passages for parenting. And it's really Genesis 1 through 4. Uh, have you noticed that both of these, I'm going back to the beginning, going back to Genesis. Everything gets founded off of that. So I'm making sure that we're going back there. Genesis 1 to 4, then Deuteronomy 6 will be there today, and Ephesians 6 will be there as well. I also want to note that uh, this is a much shorter series on the home was actually in 2009, I had done a much longer series on the home and Nick's been so kind enough to, it's not about me, but it's just like, I want so much more to be able to communicate, but he's been able to put that whole sermon series up online on our website. If you go to the media section and then to special topics, all those will be there. And uh, instead of just kind of one or so Sundays on a topic, it's uh, multiple on that. would encourage you to consider doing that if you want to get some more Uh, grounding there. Well, let's begin by doing this with parenting. Let's lay out a goal of parenting, a goal statement. Now, when I say that, I want for you to understand how important this statement is, is because this statement is going to be most of our time together this morning. Um, And for some parents, they, in our world, they go, don't just give me a statement. Just give me the nuggets, Doug. Just give me the how-to. And here's the reality. If you don't know why you're doing your parenting, if you don't know where you're trying to take your children in parenting, if you don't understand what God's design is for parenting, all the how-tos, I don't want to build Pharisees. So we are spending a lot of time today on the goal statement behind it and building that up and filling it in, okay? So that's what we're doing. So I'm going to piece by piece here. Biblical goal for parenting starts with this to raise my children, to raise my children. Let's talk about that for a little bit. And by the way, as I'm talking this morning, I'm not just talking to parents presently. I'm talking to grandparents, I'm talking to uncles, and I'm talking to aunts. So I want for you to know that uh, this is really important for you. And I would biblically suggest that there are three things 
that you should be seeing when you look at your child and when you look at your niece or nephew, when you look at your grandchild. And, and I mean, just like they're there. How do you like see them? I mean, one, it's just like, oh, you love them and they're so awesome and just so it's such a blessing and all that. But I, I want to, how do you comprehend them? Number one, you see created by God. Number one, you see created by God. Turn your Bibles in Genesis chapter one. Created by God. Uh, We see this, obviously, in the very beginning of creation. Uh, Let's look at verses 27, 28. We talked about this the last two weeks related to marriage. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says, So God created man in his own image. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. Three times in the one verse, it makes us understand, makes it very clear, God created mankind. Uh, turn over to uh, uh, Genesis 4, verse 1. Uh, Adam and Eve are on the scene. Uh, the fall has taken place. Adam and Eve have sinned before God. They've been cast out of the Garden of Eden. Of Chapter 4, verse 1. If you have headings, you see Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are children of Adam and Eve here. And verse 1, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man. In other words, I, I have a son. I've birthed a son. And, and w- look at this, with the help of the Lord. Even from the very beginning, understand that uh, not only did God create, but mankind, even in the beginning, understood that God created. Um, God created your child. And this includes a couple things. Number one, it created by God means a blessing. Turn over just for a minute. We're going to come back to Genesis here, but go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I want for you to see here how God's fingerprints are so all over your child, are so all over your grandchild, are so all over your niece, are so all over your nephew. Look at this. This is an amazing passage, the whole chapter, Psalm 139. Verse 13. It says, for you, the psalmist is saying of the Lord, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast are the sum of them. I I want for you to understand that when we read this passage, this is not a passage to walk away and go, (laughs) God made me, created me, formed me. I am awesome. That's not the attitude to walk away from this. The attitude to walk away from Psalm 139 is like unbelievable. God's fingerprints, God's hands are all over every person that has ever lived and existed. What a blessing. What a blessing. Hey, parents, when you look at your child, God's hands are all over that little boy are all over that little girl. And so when we say here that we're to raise my children, in reality, you're raising God's child. You've been entrusted. What a blessing. What a blessing. Created by God means it's a blessing. Also created by God means it's a responsibility. Uh, Parenting is not a, uh, I'm providing food and a roof 
uh, responsibility, but it's a I'm raising this child to something responsibility. And help me, remind me, who created your child? God did. And if God created your child, he has dibs on what the child's all about, right? That means it's not about what I want to raise my child to. It's about what God, my child's creator, wants my child to be. There's a responsibility. He has entrusted to you his own creation, parents. And grandparents and aunts and uncles, you have an opportunity to influence. There's blessing. There's responsibility. Created by God also means accountability. When you look at your child, do you see accountability? I mean, do you see the fact that one day you are going to give an account for how you've raised God's child? Uh, There's a part of this that should just scare us to death. You've entrusted me. I mean, like, I'm such a knucklehead. I mean, is not parenting like the hardest thing you've like ever done? Uh, Marriage and parenting, the two hardest relationships in all of life. And yet the two most significant and important. Accountability. When you look at your child biblically, you see created by God. But secondly, you see cursed by sin. Uh, Some parents with brand new babies may not want to think this, but it's a reality. I mean, they're so cute. They're so lovable. And then after a little while, they sin right on time. They're cursed by sin. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter 4. You see, because the first time we get an idea of what's going on with the children of Adam and Eve, there's a big problem. Uh, Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice unto the Lord. Uh, God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He's the younger one. Uh, God does not accept Cain's sacrifice. We don't have time to go into all that. But I just want for you to notice verse 7 of chapter 4. God says to Cain, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. Do you have that picture? I mean, right on the other side of the door, it's just like crouching. Here, I'll get the lights on me so you can see. You're just like crouching at the door, waiting to take you down. That's what he's saying. His desire is for you. That's the reality of the situation. We understand that from Scripture. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But with the parenting, Proverbs 22.15, write it down. Proverbs 22.15, the first line of that statement says this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's really, it's talking about sin is bound up in the heart of your child. It's bound, and you could spend time talking about that, but it just means it's like that fits that whole thing. It's crouching at your door. It's desire is for you. By the way, in verse seven, chapter four, that word for desire, it's a negative connotation. As you can see from here, remember last week I made mention over in Genesis chapter three, when God's talking to the woman and it says, your desire will be for your husband. That's the same word. It's this idea of, it's not, oh, hug hugs. It's the, I'm waiting to take you down and and crush you. That's the idea behind this. And sin is waiting to be able to do that. Now, that's important to understand. If you don't understand the sin problem, you won't understand the hope opportunity. 
And so in this, what happens today is so often uh, in our world, there's this thinking that it's like, you know what? My child is just a blossoming flower. And I understand that from potential. I could go with that to a certain point. There's a lot of potential in your child. Uh, But again, who's are we defining potential by? Our view or God's view? But I want to say this, so much of that talk about the blossoming child really is saying this, that within my child is inherent goodness, that goodness is the form and the fabric and the very heart core of my child. Hey, I, I don't know about you. Our kids are now married and out of the house, and so we've gone through the whole parenting process. And I'm just like, whose child is like all this idea of there's just good within them? I mean, one of the things that's about a child is you see sin, just the nature, the natural reality of sin. The first words they learn, me, mine, and McDonald's, (laughs) it seems like. It's just, it's all about me. And the problem is, is if you have the idea that within your child is just, it's all goodness. Goodness is what comprises the very core of my child. That is going to drive how you raise that child. The parents then end up going, I just need for them to experience life and let all the goodness that was within them is to come out because they're filled with good. I'm going to tell you, I wish that was the case. I wish that was the case. But I have to say this from the scriptures. That is not how God sees his child that he created. Now, Doug, are you going to the bummer part? No, I'm going to the reality part because I got to tell you this. If I knew that you had cancer and we're going to die in two months and I had the answer, the solution for your cancer problem and yet I didn't want to say anything about it because I just thought that might hurt you. That is the most unloving thing ever. But what the reality is, is by understanding, no, there's a problem within you and I have the answer for that problem. That's the way God addresses it. God addresses it from the most loving core reality of it all. And it has to start with this foolishness, sinfulness is bound up within the heart of your child. Your child is born with a sin problem, just like mine were. Do you see that? Do you know that? Let me bring in Proverbs 22.6 with that. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up your child, uh, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now understand the Proverbs are not promises. They're not guarantees. They're like odds are. This is generally what happens. And usually when you hear people talk about that verse, it's like, you know, if you train them right, they're gonna grow up right. Uh, odds are that's most likely true. But parents oftentimes, and pastors don't oftentimes want to talk about the other side of that coin. And the other side of the coin is this. If you raise your child up to be a selfish, whiny, lazy, potty-mouthed, undisciplined, foolish-hearted child, guess what they're going to be like as an adult most likely? That's also what Proverbs 22.6 is saying. Essentially, if you don't train up your child in the ways of the Lord, odds are, guess where they're going? That direction. They're going to be going in that direction. But here's the thing. God doesn't want that for your child. God addresses the reality of the child. They've been created by him. They're cursed by sin. And third, they're called to righteousness. 
They're called the righteousness. Uh, uh, sin is in the present picture. But you notice in verse 7 at the end, I didn't read yet. Uh, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. God says to Cain, but you must rule over it. It contains within it this idea that, listen, even though sin has come into the picture, uh, that's not where I want this to go. I have something different in mind for you. Parents, raise your created by God, cursed by sin, child, do it somewhere. And you want to raise them to that place where they are living and understanding and seeing what righteousness is. And get this, it's their choice in the end. You only have a period of time. In fact, that leads me to the next thing. Goal of parenting. Um, the goal of parenting is to raise my children to leave home. We talked about this uh, this last couple of weeks regarding with parenting out of Genesis 2.24. Parents, this means that your job has a time frame to it. You may always, you will always be your child's parent, but your parenting ceases. Hear me? Because a lot of parents with older children don't want to stop their parenting. You are always your child's parent, but you are not always to be parenting your child when they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old. And if that is you, I just want to lovingly and kindly as I can just say stop it because that's not God's design. In fact, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We talked about that. Leave, cleave, and weave. That's with marriage. We talked about temporary, permanent, temporary, remember? And in that, that means that you have a temporary reality with your child. They're only under your parenting realm for a period of time. And when they leave the home, when they get married, if whatever ends up takes a place there, but there's a time when they become an adult. I'm just going to say 18, 20 after. After that, your parenting stops. Uh, your prayers don't. Because they're an adult. Uh, that means that the first day you bring your baby home, wait, the first day you bring God's baby home, your eyes need to be on the horizon of that baby leaving home. Well, Doug, you are like so ruining my new baby. No, no, no. Eyes always on the horizon. Always, eyes always on the goal. Because even bringing them home, you have your heart, you have your eyes set on the reality. One day they're leaving home. That means there's a sense of urgency. That means I only have so much time to try and influence this God-created, sin-cursed, called the righteousness child. I'm trying to do everything I can to drive a track for them so that then as time goes on, that they choose to continue on that track. I want for them to continue on that track, but do know this, it's their choice. I know families who have had multiple children who have raised them in the love and the nurture of the Lord and some of them choose to follow the Lord and others just are like literally I know a family who child in jail. They don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. We're dealing with the heart of a person here. This is not a formula. If you're looking for a formula, you're starting in the wrong place of your thinking a heart raise them to leave home also that means that you are preparing your two-year-old to leave home some days you want that to happen sooner 
That means that you're preparing your 13-year-old to leave home. And you're preparing your 17-year-old to leave home. Goal of parenting, to raise my children to leave home. Uh, but leave home how? Uh, leave home equipped. Do you want them to leave home equipped? Uh, not I gave you a roof, you're 18, uh, have a good life. Uh, my job is done. We're not talking about that at all. And it's not a, a you're an 18-year-old leaving with the maturity of a 13-year-old or even a 17-year-old. We don't want that. We want to have them equipped. We would love for them to be equipped to, to get a job and, uh, or to go to college or equipped to be a hardworking, responsible employee. We want them equipped to be a team player. I mean, you've got to be a team player if you're going to do marriage. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard marriage, and we want to equip them for that. We want to equip them to be kind and generous and grateful and courteous, and, and we want them to have good morals, don't we? But let me ask this question. What's so different about that than anybody on the face of the earth? I'm just going to tell you, there, there's no difference in that between the atheist parents. The atheist parents want their child to grow up and equipped and be able to do life and have a job and do relationships and even have morals. So that's a whole other topic. But last week I made the comment that I think uh, most Christians see marriage and the goals for their marriage almost the same as the rest of the world does. And uh, I'm going to say the same thing about Christian parents too. I almost think without even knowing it, and Karen and I know this personally in our own life experience with our children, at times to where all of a sudden we've caught ourselves, you know what? We're really no different than anybody else on the earth. We're raising our children to the same goals that an atheist would raise their child to. Parents, what are you raising your child equipped to be? Serious. What are you raising your children equipped to be? Have you sat down, written that out, and worked that out as time goes on? If you're married and you have children together, have you talked together about what you're working on right now with your child in the process? Here's what's interesting to me. We'll do that for our jobs. We'll do that for our careers. We'll do that in planning to buy a house or a car with our finances. We'll do that in planning a vacation. And yet we won't do that with our own children. You've been entrusted with a human being from the Lord. Are, are, are you parenting on purpose? You need to raise them equipped to be different than the world. You want to raise them equipped to be handling life biblically. You don't want them just to handle life. You want them to handle life biblically. Again, you can raise a, a good work ethic child, a studied child, a moral child, a family-focused child, a going-to-church child, and not have a biblical view of life really placed before them. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. A little bit to the right in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I was going to take you originally to a passage in Deuteronomy that says, uh, 
if your child consistently disobeys, take him out into the city and have all the people of the city stone him. But I thought that might not be the best thing to put on the table. <laughs> but Deuteronomy, and it does say that. In Deuteronomy, I'm not going to tell you what passage because I don't want for you to use it. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want for us to read this. We're getting into the how-to of parenting. Look at this. This is huge. Look at chapter 5. The Ten Commandments are given. Uh, Moses has received these from the Lord. Moses has now come down and is communicating these to the people of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, uh, that you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's sons. Do you see? This is a multi-generational reality here. It's not just for you, but it's for generations to come. Uh, Fear the Lord your God and fear the Lord your God by keeping all his statutes and his commands. By the way, you understand fear of the Lord is the, wow, God is awesomely cool. And fear of the Lord is face on the ground. Oh my, God is God. Okay, both of those are contained within the reality of fear of the Lord. Uh, And how do we do that? We show that by keeping all his statutes and his commands, uh, which I command, Moses commands to you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. There's a blessing. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Don't only keep them, but do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command to you today should be on your heart. Let's pause there. Moses sums up what life is all about. From God's perspective. Uh, Look at that. Verse 2, fear the Lord. See, God is big. Also, verse 2, we fear the Lord by keeping his commandments, keeping his statutes. And we fear the Lord by keeping his statutes all the days of our life. And not just while a child is under your home, but you want to raise them to be doing it all the days of their life. And then look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all of who you are. I'm telling you, friends, that's the kind of child you want. Not just one that is confined to doing rules out of fear of you. But one who sees the reality of life, the joy of loving the Lord. The blessings of loving the Lord. And whose heart is so tender to the Lord. That it's like, I want to live my life for the Lord. We're trying to prepare that bed of heart in our children. And that's what we're doing over those 18 years that you have. Preparing them, pointing that way, trying to help them see that this is the way, but in the end, they choose. Also, verse 6, a heart of obedience and a heart of love, knowing that God blesses. That's biblical living. That's the way we're to live, and that's the way we want our children to live. So how then does a parent go about raising their child to leave home equipped to handle life biblically like it's stated in verses 1 through 6? Here's what I love about God. He tells us what God expects, God equips us. It's not like, hey, here's what I want to have happen. Go figure it out on your own, losers. God's not that way. Instead, God is like, hey, here's what I want you to be about. 
Let me tell you how to do that. Let's keep going in the text. Let's start at verse six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, here we go, parents, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them like all the time. Look at this. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you get up. That's like all the time, isn't it? Uh, That's kind of the point. Uh, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Uh, I mean, a a word that nowadays could literally be used for this idea of binding is tattoo it. Tattoo it on. Tattoo it on their hands so their work, it's always right before them. Tattoo it on, you know, I'm not literally saying going out, hey, if you want to, fine, whatever. But it's just the kind of thing where it's a principle. This is what we're trying to, we're trying to put it right out there. Verse nine, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is how it's supposed to happen. Teach them, diligently teach God's words to your children. Will I take them to church? Fantastic. But listen, what about you? You're the parent. I'm not, and their Sunday school teacher is not. We want to help. We want to partner with you. But ultimately, parents, it's your responsibility. Are you practically, functionally, strategically, formally teaching your children the word of God? I I hope you are. But don't just teach it and leave it there. Talk about it. Talk about it everywhere, all the time. When you're on a vacation, driving down the road, is it normal to talk about things of the Lord in your home? If it's not, that's the first thing you got to start changing. You know, because oftentimes for people, they're like freaked out by some of this stuff. It's like, oh, dad's talking about God. (laughs) Oh, mom's bringing up a verse. The hammer's coming down. That should not be that way. All of life should be about God being brought into it because life is not about uh, the sacred and then the secular. We don't live life individually like that. It's all together. All of life is sacred. And you talk about it, are you? And if you're not, I just want to say, start right here, folks, right here. Because it should be something where the word of God has talked about uh, who God is. When you're driving down the road on vacation and you're looking out, it's like, man, God created an amazing earth. You don't have to like get into a 20-minute discussion, but it should just be normal conversation in your life. Teach them, talk about them, bind them, tattoo them on your kids so that they see it. And it's just not in the discipline, but it's, we'll talk in a moment. It's also in the blessings of life. Help them see a God who blesses. Way to go, Johnny. You picked up your truck. I am so thrilled with you right now. But Johnny, guess what? Do you know what the scriptures say? God says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, that when you obey mommy, that when you obey daddy, that God delights in that. Oh, That's what we're talking about. Helping them see a holistic view of God. Write them around your homes. You may post it up. Get giant post-it notes, but the idea is just to keep it going. Here's the thing. Reading the Christmas story at Christmas and then thinking that that's like the lever that pulls it. Now your kid's going to be raised loving the Lord deeply. I mean, what's with that? Hey, read the Christmas story. But don't think that's going to be the thing. You know, we do family devotionals fantastic for you but don't think that if you read the daily bread or daily crouton thing that you know just pull the lever and then everything's good and my kid's going to come out like a seminary professor you know we go to church fantastic 
But that doesn't guarantee that your child is going to be wired up because if they come home and they see a whole different mom, a whole different dad from what they see happening at church, I'm just going to tell you that's exasperating your child, Ephesians 6, 4. And a child is like, I completely see the hypocrisy in you. I'm telling you, kids pick it up better than anybody. Instead, it's day in, day out teaching. It's formal teaching, informal teaching, creative teaching, by example teaching. That means that when your two-year-old throws a fit, it isn't a stage of life. It drives me nuts when I hear parents talk about that. It's sin. That's what it is. It's foolishness bound up in their little cute heart, all just vomiting itself right out for you to be able to see. That's what the reality is. When your three-year-old is like, it's mine, or whining. Wait, that's not just a stage either. That's a heart that's sinning right before. And parents, you have an opportunity to help shape them towards what life should be about because they're wired with a sin-cursed heart and you're trying to want to show them a better way. That means that a five-year-old says, I don't want to share. Life is all about me. No, the scriptures talk about that. You can help them with that. That means a 10-year-old that has a fit after losing a game, a board game or a sports game. No, you, you help them with that. Your eye is on the horizon. They're leaving home. You're training them. The, the teen who's like, I hate school. I hate my teachers. And I, 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 I hate everybody, including you. Listen, that's uh, something you need to shape them with scriptures with and help them with. I deserve a car. I deserve an iPhone. I deserve my college paid for. Um, scriptures talk about that. I, I also want to let you know again that when your two-year-old doesn't touch the stove and you start seeing them get it and obey you, cheer them on. And when your 10-year-old shares with the other boy at school or at home, you cheer the scriptures on in their life. And when the 17-year-old is beginning to get the perspective of what's going on in the financial reality of your home and understanding that maybe in your home they can't have that or they can't do that and they show a heart that's understanding and okay with that, hey, you need to cheer them on with the scriptures and how God loves that. Deuteronomy 6 pictures a home where parents are themselves sold out to the word of God and are themselves living it out. Parents, there's no magic formula. It's all of life, and it begins with your life. Genesis 1 through 4, Deuteronomy 6. Raise your child to leave home, equipped to handle life biblically. Um, I've got a few minutes here, so I want to put a graph on. And I'm going to download a graph into your life. I love one-page summaries, and I'm a visual person. So everything's coming to you right now. Let's bring this all together. When you look at your child biblically, you see a created by God, cursed by sin, called to righteousness, beautiful, potential, sin-cursed little guy and little girl. And the goal of that of your job is to raise that child to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. And your home should be consistently full 
of lots of love. Lots of it. Because God loves you. And we're to extend it out. Your home should be full of lots of time. Quality time and quantity of time. You know, the thing, well, I just, I just give them quality time. I don't have a whole lot of quantity. No, no, no. Rearrange your life. Your kids need quantity of time and quality of time. Lots of time. They need lots of fun. Oh, play hard with them. Have a blast. I got to tell you, that's one of the things I miss about having our kids in our home. Man, we used to, this is not trying to pat our back, but we used to try so hard to have so much fun. We wanted our kids, not to think their mom and dad is cool, but we wanted for our kids to be able to look at mom and dad and saw that they saw life as a joyful opportunity. And we had a blast. And you need to have lots of fun with your little guy or your little gal. And you need to have lots of prayer. Pray, 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 pray. Turn to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We're going to be covering this more next week. I just want to bring to you verse 4, okay? And put it on the graph. Verse 4, very interesting how it starts. Fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children. It's interesting. I think in general, us dads are really good at that. We're pretty good at uh, exasperating our kids. Uh, Fathers don't do that. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Two key tools for you in bringing them up. Number one is correction. Uh, uh, correction. And I've got over here listed on the screen these things that come out of a, a prior teaching on that. And you can have access on that. But do you see how in the beginning years of a child's life, there is lots of correction. You can't talk a whole lot of reason with a one-year-old. It's just like, don't touch the hot stove. No. Now let's talk about how the electricity comes into the thing and it shoots around. And the kid's just like, I don't care. There's lots of correction in the beginning of parenting. But do you see in the text how it also talks about how there's lots of instruction? It's correction and instruction in it. Instruction increases over the years. Correction decreases over the years. Your, your, your correction should change over the years. Your correction or your instruction should also change over the years. When your child is young, uh, go, let's go to the next slide. When your child is young, you have more of the, the, the correction going on and less of the teaching, but that should be increasing as time goes on to when your child is old and they're ready to head out. You're at a place where you're talking mano y mano to them, an instruction reality. And you're looking towards that and building towards that. And, and the discipline should be going down as they're becoming more aware of what's taking place with that. And I just want to quickly here tell you this, that one of the errors I made, and my wife actually helped me understand this, was this. Our kids were two years apart from each other. And our son was first, our daughter was second. And as time went on, I started realizing that I was expecting the exact same things out of Emily that I was out of Luke. Because I saw them as a pair. And what I was doing was thinking that Emily, two years behind, should be at the same place that Luke was two years ahead. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And as the one, the youngest of three brothers, I remember how exasperating it was for me when my parents thought me in elementary school should be responding in the exact same way that my older brothers in junior high were. 
Do you see how it changes over time? And so I just want to encourage you to be a parent from Scripture that brings correction and instruction into the reality of it. I spend an entire sermon on the topic of correction. I'd encourage you to go to that and get some more on it. How to correct, why to correct, what it looks like. Spend a whole sermon on instruction to be doing that and downloading into your kids. Instruction and correction are teammates along with lots of love, lots of time, lots of fun, and lots of prayer. Parents, you have an amazing job on your lap. You have an amazing job. And I want to encourage you today. It is worth putting the time in. It is worth it. It is worth it. Your children will be a much greater delight to you down the road than your career will be. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to pause here for a couple. This is a hard Sunday for me. There's just so much I want to be able to put out on the table. Having been through the the parenting years, having experienced the incredible joys of a child and having experienced oh how do we say it some incredible pain of choices our children make Lord, I I just pray for these parents here. I pray for the grandparents. Pray for the aunts and the uncles that are here. I, I pray that we as adults would be the kind of men and women who see our children, see our nieces, nephews, see our grandchildren the way you do. Created by you, cursed by sin, but called to right.